0: And gospel with Dr. Helissa Elwine. Join us around our Shabbat dining table as we explore the Torah portion. Okay, Shabbat Shalom everybody. So I'm hoping today as we go through a uh, a bit of new material today. I hope it accomplishes its purpose. So I, I started with the premise that prayer makes you think. Prayer makes you think. Now we'll we'll work on that a little bit more, but it should make you think. And as an example, I used Peter in the garden. Remember, Yeshua chose a few disciples to go with him and pray before he was arrested after their Seder, after their Passover, and so Yeshua's like. I just want you to pray with me. I just need you to pray with me. Yeshua knows what's about to come. He knows that the the not the, you know it's not a matter of his footsteps in his mind, it's a matter of the enemy's footsteps are approaching and they're very close. And he wants those that have surrounded him, have followed him for the last few years, his closest companions. He wants them with him to pray with him at this time of his distress. And it's at that, that moment there in the garden of Gethsemane, or Gethsemane, Gatshemen means the, the olive press. It's is there in those moments where he has to keep waking up the disciples that we realize who is truly prepared for this situation. And even though Yeshua is not really looking forward to what is about to happen, he's much more prepared for the situation because he's praying. He's staying awake, praying. And so we see his his trusty disciples. They just go to bed with the chickens, um, and that happens after a Passover seder. <laughs> you know, if you've had too much to eat, maybe a little bit too much grape juice or whatever it is you use, your your tummy's full, and and it's late, and it's getting close to midnight, and you just want to go to sleep. You know, we've seen kids literally fall asleep with their heads on the table before. But the problem with that is because they went to bed with the chickens, It by the time the cock crowed three times the next morning, Peter had run away. He had, denis- he had denied he even knew Yeshua, even cursed, and just ran away. And then remember, you know, before that, Peter didn't even imagine such a thing was possible. He's like, oh, Yeshua, I'll follow you everywhere. I'll take up this sword. I- I'll-, I'll do anything. He had a lot of courage before the real tribulation hit. He just didn't think it was possible that he could run away in a time of distress. But you know, that's exactly what he did. And so many times we thought we had a lot of courage in the word. And then we got slammed with a biggie and we kind of ran away. And we really didn't think such a thing was possible. We thought we could just meet that head on. And maybe we didn't. Maybe we weren't as prepared as we thought we were. The difference between the disciples and Yeshua, other than the obvious, he's the Messiah. He prays. He just keeps praying. So I wanted to look at Proverbs 23, 7. And we've heard this, if you've been in church, I'm sure you heard this all your life, especially if you were an evangelical church, because I I think it was often quoted within that that Word of Faith movement. And there were some abuses, you know, I think with this, the name it and the claim it. It kind of pulled some things out of context there. And so we want to make sure we don't do that with this verse, but, but here's the verse you're used to hearing. As a man thinks within himself, so is he. Or you might have heard, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And the implication usually when it's quoted is that, you know what, if we just imagine it in our hearts, we can have it. We can be it. We can do it. Well, that's not exactly true. What if you're not thinking the right thing in your heart? You know, if right now we got trouble with people who think they're the wrong things, but just because they think they're that thing, other people tell them it's okay to be that thing. Yes, that must be who you are because in your heart you think you're that thing. Well, you're not that thing. Sorry, you're not. So let's read the whole context. As a man thinks within himself, so is he within himself is in Hebrew, benafsho, benafsho. And you can hear the Hebrew word nefesh, nefesh, which means soul. I mean, so Benafsho is in his soul. As a man thinks within his soul, so is he. What is the soul? It's often confused with the spirit, but the soul, the nafsh, is a bundle of appetites, emotions, desires, and intellect. Your soul is a thinker. It thinks. It has appetites. It has emotions. It desires things. So keep that in mind as we read the full context. So the beginning of the proverb is do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. And then the rest of the verse is, he says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. His heart, his lev in Hebrew. So if we read the whole thing, it's do not eat the bread of a selfish man or desire his delicacies. As a man thinks within himself, so is he. He says to you, eat and drink, but his heart is not with you. All right, so it's it's telling you that no matter what's coming out of this guy's mouth, it's how he's thinking within his heart that defines who he really is. Who is he really? He doesn't want you to eat and drink. See, he's saying with his lips the words of hospitality, but in his heart, he does not want to share with you. He does not want to exercise hospitality towards you. So it's saying in his soul, that is defining who he is, not the words coming out of his mouth. It's what's in his heart. And that's what we know about the heart. It's also sometimes seen as the mind in scripture. It's interconnected with the soul. Uh, There's something called a heart brain. In my, my doctoral research, I did some research into the heart brain as it relates to motivation, human motivation and how that heart brain processes things. So the heart brain is connected to your brain brain. They communicate with one another. And so using that as a context, I'm sure, you know, Elohim knew this when he created us that there was this certain brain brain connection to the heart brain. This proverb is warning us that in spite of the generous words that this person is saying, he's selfish. And even though you can't hear his soul his heart is thinking the opposite of what he says, and he wishes that you would not accept. He does not want to share his bread with you. So, what is the connection between that and prayer? Why is that proverb helping us to understand prayer? Well, again, you know, Yeshua told a lot of parables. Now, remember the the Pharisee, that everything coming out of his mouth is the most unPharisee-like thing. If you check, like what the p- Pharisees believed about prayer, this particular hypocritical Pharisee is doing the exact opposite of what a Pharisee should do. And weirdly, the the tax collector over here praying his prayer is praying a Pharisaic prayer. He's praying the Vidui prayer. And so Yeshua, is, you, you know, he's using this point to say, you know what? He might look like a Pharisee, but what's in his heart is different. This person over here might look like a tax collector, but in a weird way, he's a Pharisee in his heart. He's praying properly. And that's the lesson for us. Sometimes things can come out of our mouths, but we don't really believe it. We don't really think it. Maybe we don't even want it to come to pass. It is possible to pray one thing and think the opposite. And looking at Yeshua in the garden as an example, we can see he struggled the same way that we do when we're praying for one thing, because we know we're supposed to pray for that. But in my heart, I don't really want to pray for that. I really don't believe that. Yeshua was struggling too. He was praying a prayer, but he didn't want to be crucified. He didn't want to be beaten. He didn't want to be mocked. He didn't want his beard pulled out. He didn't want any of those things. He didn't want to have to stand there and just take it from deficient people, idol worshipers in the case of the Romans. But, you know, how do we look at him and understand what happens here? In spite of what he knows is coming, in spite of not wanting, he, he so, you know, he despised it, the mockery. Nevertheless, he prayed the perfect prayer. When what is in your heart is not lining up with the word that you know must come to pass, Yeshua prayed, nevertheless, you know, he said, if possible, could this cup please pass? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. So often we become disappointed because it feels like the Father's not answering our prayers. Well, if we're sincerely praying, not my will, but yours be done, then we have to rest assured that The route it's going is his will. And that's hard to swallow because in our minds, we have, we're we're trying to figure out a different way for it to happen. I'm, I'm sure Yeshua was there praying in the garden thinking, could it go this way? Couldn't it go that way? Couldn't it be this way? But there was only one way. And it was through a lot of suffering. Yeshua wasn't confused, though, about what he needed to do when he felt that conflict in his heart. He knew what he needed to accomplish in prayer. And so that's what we want to do. We want to know, what is it I'm supposed to be accomplishing in prayer? How can I be an effectual, fervent prayer? Well, there's a couple of different words we can use for prayer. In past lessons, we looked at lasuach, which can mean to pray or to meditate. Sicha would be your noun form. It's a little more conversational there's more listening receiving it's meditative we might say it's a little more informal it's it's a great communication it's it's there's a relationship there just like isaac who was walking in the field praying meditating when rebecca rides up on the camel that's what was needed for the creation it it needed a human being to pray for rain and that prayer prayer for rain was we can tell from the context to be a communication. it wasn't, you know, ideal for Adam and Eve to be terrified by the voice of Elohim walking in the cool of the evening. and there was no reason for them to be terrified if normally this is when they engaged in a in this relational conversational listening, receiving, meditative communication. But see when you sin, you don't want to talk to the person you've sinned against. and they didn't want to talk to him then. They knew they had sinned. so, Prayer for the earth requires sicha, listening to the voice of Elohim. And often you're going to hear that with your spiritual ears. It's a relationship. It's not so much, the, you know, reading the written word. We're going to look at lehit palel as a better example of prayer being, having the as its bones the written word. But, you know, in Genesis 24, 63, la suach, or this meditative prayer, that's one method. And originally, it appears that Elohim wanted this sort of prayer. He wanted wanted it to be, you know, communication, two-way, the way you would talk to a friend. But there's another type of prayer, lehit palel, lehit palel. And those of you who know a little bit of Hebrew grammar, you can hear that that's a reflexive verb. And this type of prayer is understood as a type of self-judgment. And you know what? You have to hear when you pray this type of prayer as well. But this type of prayer, it's it's a little more formal. There's some, some definite bones to this type of prayer. And because it is a type of judgment, you'll see it based more on it is written. Scripture informing this type of prayer, this revealed word to all the creation, you know, it is written, was written to to everyone. It's not just you and, and the Father, the individual speaking back and forth. It's, there, there's a, you become really part of the collective right here. And so when you say, we will do and we will hear as it pertains to the Torah, as it pertains to your covenant, then the whole foundation of it is we will do and we will hear the word. The Torah. It's what you're about to do and to hear is based on a, a specific document. And that document is collective. It's it's collectively for not just the nation of Israel, but all creation. So this sort of prayer, any sort of judgment will be against that standard, against that measurement. And that's why if you're, you're reading a Jewish prayer book, if you're reading a sidur, if you have a good one, often it will list the scriptures those prayers are based on. It's it's like a patchwork quilt of scriptures in the prayers, and, and by that, that's exactly how you're going to self judge as you pray because you are praying His will aloud. You are praying His word. You are praying His will, and and therefore it's very easy to measure yourself against that standard. You're praying it. You're saying it. But let's look at the first three times prayers mentioned from the verb palal in Hebrew, palal. You can see it here, that, that root in lahit palal, the three-letter shorish or the three-letter root. And just hang in there. If you don't like grammar, just keep hanging in there because we're, we're going to get to some good stuff. The first three mentions, I want to read these so that you can see two examples of things you expect. And one example of something you may not expect. The first two examples we'll find in Genesis 20, verses 7 and 17. He says, now therefore restore the man's wife for he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you will live. Okay. He prays and then Abimelech can live. And then in verse 17, Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maids so that they bore children. So healing and life can be a result of prayer. Remember, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Abraham was a righteous man. Even though he tries to pull off, say you're my sister thing, he didn't lose his power of prayer over it. Instead, Avimelech says, you go to Abraham and he will pray for you and and you will live and your your wife and your maids will be uh, healed. Right, so we expect that in terms of prayer, it makes sense. We we go ask Adonai, what is the will of Adonai? Well, it is written, <laughs> he will pray for you. It is written, Abraham prayed to God. These this was the instructions that Abimelech had. Go talk to Abraham. Abraham will pray. Abraham is fulfilling the word of Adonai. Abraham, you pray for this guy. He did. He's praying according to the will of El Shaddai, but in 48:11 Genesis 48:11 same Hebrew word for prayer but the translation into English is going to be a little bit different and this is when Israel encounters Joseph when Israel encounters Joseph when he when he thinks he would never see Joseph again and then he finds out from his other sons that Joseph lives and again see the, the parallel there Abraham's going to pray for you and you're going to live well here it says Israel said to Joseph I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your children as well. Do you see there's really the same two things happened right there? Even though it's translated as expected, it's the same word as prayed. So Joseph lives just like Avimelech lives, or he did. (laughs) And then he says, and I'm going to heal your wife and your maid so that they can bear children. And what does Israel say? And God has let me see your children as well. So there's two things, two outcomes of prayer, life and healing, life and healing so that offspring can appear. And that's why I say this really is a message for those of you concerned about your offspring, your children, your grandchildren, because prayer, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person, sometimes the answer is quick. Sometimes it isn't. Nevertheless, it is written. And it doesn't matter how we feel. It is written. We are going to pray for life and for healing so that the children can appear. Now, that third mention where it's translated as, I never expected to see your face. I never expected. It's an alternate meaning to palal. And palal, of course, if we look at that root, or lehit palal, it means to intercede, to pray to entreat. It can mean to judge, which we talk about self-judgment, uh, to make a supplication. You say, well, I, I still don't see why they're they're saying, I never expected to see your face. Well, as we go into the Jesenius Hebrew Chalde lexicon, it gets a little deeper than maybe the Strong's. And it adds, it means to think or to suppose something to think or to suppose something. So when you're praying, it makes you think. And hopefully when you are praying, it's making you suppose something, right? right. So grammatically, the difference between praying and thinking is just going to be a, a matter of the verb form. You've got the hit pa'el, 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 which is reflexive. But then that thinking or judging form is in the PL form. But the same three-letter root, palel. Like I said, hang in there on the grammar. We're about to get past it. So praying, what are you doing? You're judging yourself in relation to the world around you and how it relates to the word within you. How are you gonna conduct yourself in the world around you? Well, you have to conduct it in relation to the word that's in you. So it's a matter of constant ongoing self-judgment because the world is unfolding in your life you don't know what in the world will happen to you 10 minutes from now. None of us do. We don't know what in the world is going to happen to us tomorrow. We don't know what in the world is going to happen to us next year. The Father knows. So all we can do, not knowing what in the world is going to happen, is continually judge ourselves in relation to the word, the Torah that is within us, and then how does that translate into how the world is unfolding in front of me right this instant? And that's when you realize, you know what, I need to go beyond just this instant. When I pray, I need to start getting longer-term vision. So prayer is not totally reflexive. It's not just judging me. I have to also judge the circumstances of prayer. Situations come up. Situations change. And you might need, as that situation arises... You need to not only be able to judge yourself according to it is written, but sometimes you have to judge other people or their actions against the revealed word. It is written. So many times our emotions get attached to certain people. We admire certain people. So we we cut them way too much slack. We don't really like this person, so we don't cut them any slack. And that goes back to that, that original proverb, as a man thinks in his soul, so is he what kind of man is this in context it's a stingy person he's stingy he doesn't want you to have his food so we might run into a situation not necessarily where we're being stingy but there might be a disparity our soul our heart might resist what we need to pray for because the way that that your soul feels remember it's a feeler a thinker a desirer it gets hungry it gets thirsty it's a life force and your soul doesn't function based on it is written. That's the job of the spirit, of the ruach, of the person. And so when you're, when you're praying, you're, you might have a conflict within. Part of you, the, the spiritual part of you is saying, it is written, therefore I need to pray this way. But your soul is desiring. Your soul is thinking. And there is such a thing as wrongheaded thinking. I've had it wrong lots of times. And my thinking needed to be healed, needed to be repaired, so that my thinker would line up with my spirit, because my spirit decides things and judges things based on it is written. My soul doesn't always do that. My soul says, I think, I feel, I want. And so when I measure, I think, I feel, I want against the word, a lot of times there's gaps between what I think, feel, and want and what the word says is truth. And so if there's a disparity between these two, between what is written and what you feel, think, and want, you cannot allow your heart, you cannot allow your soul to judge the situation. They might feel the situation, they might think the situation, but they cannot be allowed to judge it. Because just like Proverbs 23 says, the heart and soul can remain a silent ruler even if your mouth proclaims the hospitality of the word. What do you do? Well, here's the dilemma. The soul alone cannot heal the soul. Emotions don't fix emotions. Appetites don't fix appetites. Thoughts don't fix thoughts. They can help, but you are going to have to discipline those appetites, discipline those thoughts, discipline every emotion with the Holy Spirit. See, the soul is a life force, not the truth. Your appetite, emotion, desire, and intellect, they are life forces to keep you alive. They keep your soul and your body alive, and your soul and your body are in cahoots very often. (laughs) They rely upon one another. The spirit gets dragged along because it's in the same body. But we're in the process of changing that in prayer. Instead of just dragging our poor little spirit along, because our life force is taking us toward an appetite we we shouldn't have, or we should have disciplined by now, taking us in the direction of an emotion that is improper, taking us in the direction of a thought that's just wrong. And so now the spirit, that's why authority is, is usually associated with the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit that should have authority. The soul is a life force. It's not a bad thing. It's only a bad thing when it becomes the silent ruler. And, and so I, I was watching a little news clip yesterday and it was a guy, he was taking, I guess, a bag of trash to a, a trash can, a big trash bin outside. And he opens the lid on the trash bin and a big bear head pops out. Like there's a bear in the trash can. <laughs> He's gone, right? I would be too. You know what? That's his soul saying, bear, run. If you see a bear in your trash can and your soul tells you to run, believe it. Run. That's what it's in there for. But again, it's it's doing its job. But in prayer, you can't rely on bear run. You're much more sophisticated than that. You're a human being. And long after the winds of time rush away, our feelings, our wants, our thoughts. How many of you ever changed your mind about anything? So we know that our thoughts are not eternal truth until they are. How many of you ever changed what you wanted, what you desired, what you craved? Can it be disciplined? It can. As you grew up, probably your taste changed. What about the, what about the way you felt about somebody? You ever meet somebody the first time and you think, I don't care for that person. And they end up being best friends or somebody you just were attracted to like, man, I would love to be their friend. And then you find out, ooh, not so good once you get to know them. And so these things can be distorted. And that's why you have to test the spirits, right? That's the function of the Holy Spirit in us. And so prayer is giving us the chance to imagine the proper outcome of a situation. And often in order to do that the heart, the soul, they're going to have to grow and they're going to have to be transformed by the Holy Spirit so that they will agree with the word. See, the word is a food of hospitality. Sometimes we just don't want to. Sometimes we just don't want that prayer answered that way. Sometimes we don't want to go through the things that we know we'll have to go through in order for that prayer to be answered, just like Yeshua in the garden. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Remember the man who begged Yeshua, help my unbelief. I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Sometimes that's the best prayer you can pray when you know you don't genuinely want what the Father does for you yet. When you don't genuinely think about the situation the way that he wants you to yet. When you know, you know what, sometimes you have to pray, I want to want to. Father, help me want to want the things you want. Father, Help me want to feel the way you want me to feel. Father, help me want to think the way you want me to think. Because I don't feel them. I don't think them. I don't want them right now. Help that, please. Bring me even to a place where I can bring you a proper prayer. Where I can say, I'm willing to set my will aside in order to accept yours. So when when we don't have faith that the sincere longings of our heart can change, to meet the standard of it is written, yes, cry out, just cry out. Say, Father, I know I'm deficient. I know I'm thinking wrong. I know I'm feeling wrong. I know I'm desiring wrong things. I need you to help me. I need your spirit because my soul is not healing my soul. I need your spirit to discipline my soul. And what helps is to imagine the outcome, imagine the outcome, envision the outcome. Even Yeshua, you know, he had to draw deep on his imagination of what the salvation of the world would look like just to get through those those next hours, knowing he's about to be beaten, mocked, die on a cross. He had to imagine, he he had to envision on the other side of that tribulation that it would be worth it. And see, we have to do the same thing. We have to imagine the outcome of a, a proper prayer. So which takes us back to Genesis 48, 11, and that strange wording where Israel tells Joseph, I never expected to see your face. I never prayed to see your face. I never expected to see your face. Not a bad translation in context. If we look at the art scroll, it, it translates it like this into English. Israel said to Joseph, I did not imagine I did not imagine seeing your face. And here, God has shown me even your offspring. So if you have children, if you have grandchildren, and you're just having a, a hard time seeing them, like you say, fully clothed, in their right mind, sitting down with Yeshua and having a conversation, you have to start imagining it. And not only your children, but their their children and their children. You have to imagine that. You have to envision that. Rashi comments on this verse uh, of of what Israel is saying to Joseph. I did not imagine. My heart did not feel me. Feel me. He's saying, I did not dare to think. The thought that I would see your face again. The word pilalti denotes thinking, like, and produce an idea, do some thinking. And his example is found in Isaiah 16.3, where it says, give us advice, make a decision. See, when, when you give advice, it's because you've thought through something, and then you make a decision. And this is part of prayer. We have to envision the outcome we're seeking. We have to take counsel. Sometimes it's too soon to pray. We really need to think through it with the power of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, why are you asking me to imagine? If my heart is so fickle, why would we imagine something in prayer? Well, let's look at Proverbs 18, 2, a couple of different translations. It says, a fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. Only in revealing his own mind, which is uh, libi or libo, his heart, lev, heart, libo. Or it says, a fool has no delight in understanding, but that his heart may discover itself. Proverbs 18.2. What is it saying? Well, I don't want to say there's only two kinds of prayers, but (laughs) a foolish prayer is not really going to delight in understanding the situation he's praying about. He only wants an answer, and he only wants to pray according to his own thoughts. It's only in revealing his own mind. He just wanna discover what's already there. And so if we have only one vision of the, the outcome to this prayer, and it's our way or the highway, if we think there's only one way this prayer can be answered, there's only one route that it could possibly take, then we're gonna have a lot of trouble saying, not my will, but yours be done, because more often than not, the answers to my prayers do not go the route I think they're going. More often than not, What I think is the answer to my prayer is definitely not the answer I receive. A fool is only going to accept what's already in his own mind. But remember, the mind is deceitful. The heart is deceitful. That's what Jeremiah 17, 9 says. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand it? You know what? With the spirit of Adonai, with the same spirit that, that was in Messiah Yeshua that raised him from the dead, even if your heart is sick and deceitful, you can come to a place of understanding. We don't have to stop in our prayers at our understanding. We can pray, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done, and then he can begin to open our understanding that there might be other ways that this prayer could be answered. We can't pray in such a manner that we're just oblivious to any other outcome other than the one we've already selected or the route we've already decided it's going to take. That's the prayer of somebody who doesn't want to understand the word applied to the situation. They only want to appease that unreliable heart. We need counsel, and it's a uh, counsel, it's it's one of the seven spirits of Adonai, just like Bina or Tabuna. It's one of the seven spirits of Adonai and Bina or understanding comes before counsel. So what could happen there? Let's say it's like, okay. All right. So we've got Chokhmah, which is wisdom. You've got Bina, which is understanding. And then you've got Itza, which is counsel. You see it keeps moving. There's a fullness of the Holy spirit. What if you make it to Bina and you stop right there? You don't ever continue on and receive counsel. Well, you've built your understanding, but without counsel. You see how these are one Holy Spirit that you can't just rip a branch off and say, hey, all I want is understanding. Let me pull this lamp off of here and run around with it. No, you can't do that. It's one Holy Spirit, seven manifestations, seven characteristics, but they all work together. But often as human beings, we do. We just want to stop at our own understanding, and that never gives the Father a chance to plant the engrafted word. What what is it? It literally means tree. The spirit of counsel, it's tree. What does a tree do? It bears fruit with seed. And that's what James 1.21 says. We need to uh, receive with meekness the engrafted word. Sometimes our understanding is limited and we need counsel. We need the spirit of counsel. We need something that will help us envision the fruit. And so with counsel, we will come this truthful measure of the spirit. And in order to fairly judge ourselves or anyone else in prayer, we have to seek it as written. We don't want to be foolish and just want to understand in order to discover and plan what we've already decided it's going to be, or what we in our limited faith, we can't even see past that place. Well, here's an here's a reason why good judgment has to be part of prayer. Exodus 21, it says, if men struggle with each other and strike a woman with child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet there is no injury, he shall surely be fined as the woman's husband may demand of him, and he shall pay as the judges decide. He shall pay as the judges decide. So we we have a terrible problem here someone has been injured in loss the loss of a child a premature birth nevertheless the mother there's there's no ongoing physical injury she's not maimed she's not disabled she's lost the child that's a huge loss and so this is an example conflict you can imagine how high emotions would run in such a situation and so Obviously, the the man who's lost a child is going to be highly emotional about the loss of that child. The man he was fighting with may try to justify and say, well, hey, we were both fighting. Why am I the one that's being penalized here? Because it says they're struggling with each other and they accidentally hurt a woman who's pregnant. You see how both their hearts are going to try to justify their way of seeing the situation. And what does Adonai say? Send it to a judge. Send it to a qualified judge because the heart is more deceitful than all else, and it's desperately sick. This goes back to each of these gentlemen has the, the potential here to only want to discover their own heart and this judgment. And remember this, this judging, it's like prayer. What they imagine the consequences should be are not necessarily going to line up with it is written, because how often do we we listen to a judgment from a judge and say, well, okay, baruch hashem. Well, in my opinion, it should have been. That's a challenge, but hard emotions are that difficult to manage in prayer, and so it would be very difficult for the uh, the average human being. Being involved, being directly involved to imagine what would be fair reparations. So he says, bring in a judge. So in prayer each day, we have the opportunity to think, to plan. We even have the opportunity to imagine the outcomes of our prayers. And just because our hearts can be deceitful is not a reason not to pray. It's the best time to pray. When you don't trust your own heart to pray the right prayer, that's the best time to pray. And what is a right prayer? A right prayer is when you imagine that the answer to that prayer is going to be according to your best understanding of the word, which is the Father's will. And again, if you can't imagine it, just cry out, "Father, help my own belief. Help me. Help me see this the way that you do. Take my sick, deceitful heart and fix it so that it's it's willing to accept your will instead of a mine. And you say, well, my heart right now is just overpowered with fear of the future. I don't see my children walking the way that they should. I don't see my grandchildren. It just seems like they're walking farther and farther away than anything I'm praying for. You're gonna to have to have courage. This is no place for chickens, folks. No place for chickens. You're gonna pray, not my will, but yours be done. I'm putting their route back to you in your hands but I'm going to need you to give me the courage to walk through this. And if you will pray that way, if you will say, you know what? My heart's saying one thing, even though my lips are saying another, fix my heart so that it matches your word. And and I learn to trust you to take care of my children, to take care of my grandchildren until they turn back home. He's going to give you the courage to walk through this. And that peace will abide in you when you're ready to turn it over to him. And sometimes we'll get the answer to prayer. It'll be like, as we were talking about last week, remember when they were praying when Peter was locked up in the jail during Passover and the angel pulls him out of the jail and says, hurry up, come on. And so Peter goes to the gate and they've been praying for his release. And then the girl who sees him at the gate just runs off. She can't believe the prayer was answered. He's delivered and they can't believe their prayers were answered. And that's what happens in grief. Sometimes, even when we pray, we're we're in in grief. Grief is a powerful emotion, and so just like this girl couldn't believe it was Peter, Israel looks at Joseph like I couldn't even imagine I would see your face again, much less my grandchildren. So the word it is written is telling you: don't ever, ever, ever give up on your children and grandchildren. When we pray for one another. We have to imagine that prayer answered. Yes, our hearts, our souls, they're fickle, they're deceitful. And Adonai knows that. He created us. And he says, I have a solution. He says, I know you struggle in your prayers. I have a solution for you. Just the way that he did with the example here of these these two men fighting, neither one of them is is going to have a, a fair judgment, depending on what they've lost in the battle so he says okay bring in a bring in an outside person bring in a qualified bring in a righteous human judge and so righteous human judges can help to think and to render justice in conflict so when we have just ourselves as judges that's when we're a little more susceptible to those deceitful hearts and what goes along with it sometimes is we're grieving the thing we're praying about is something we're grieving over. We, we're we grieving the loss of children. We're thinking, I didn't bring you up that way. I never taught you those things. Why, why are you departing so far from the faith? And it's, it's a conflict between what we want for our children and our grandchildren and what actually seems possible based on what we see them doing right now. So the help that Adonai sends us, it's recorded in the book of James. He says, call for the elders of the congregation. You find righteous men and women who can pray effectual, fervent prayers with you. That's why we lift up one another in prayer. Because when we are in a state of mourning, in a state of grief for the situation we're praying for, we can be a little weak in our faith it can be a little hard for us to imagine a good outcome. That's the weight of grief. But if we lift up one another in prayer, it's not so difficult to stand. And, you know, everybody goes through things at different times. When I'm down, there's somebody else that's going to be up. When they're down, I might be up. We go in in cycles like that. And so when we're up, we can lend power to this this one in grief, in need, who needs to pray an effectual, fervent prayer. But the grief is so heavy. The unbelief is so heavy. The despair is so heavy. But when you call in the, the Abrahams and the Sarahs to lift that person up as they pray, these people aren't going to be as entrapped or weighted by emotions and the limited thinking that goes with those emotions. It's going to be easier for this this human judge, this human interceder, to imagine an answered prayer on your behalf. You ever notice that? You hear somebody praying for one of your needs, and you're thinking, "Oh, but they don't know my situation, or they wouldn't be praying as if it were going to actually happen." <laughs> I've, I've done that before. It is easier for them to imagine the answered prayer. And that's exactly why James uses the same prescription as the Torah. When you're weighted with emotion, when you're in despair, when you're in grief, when you're maybe in mourning, then you call on the strong hands who can lift you up. Examples Exodus 17 12, it says, But Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other. Thus, his hands were steady until sunset. Should we still be doing that? First Timothy 2.8, therefore, I want the men in every place to pray, lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So the pattern, you find your Abrahams, you find your Sarahs who can pray for you, who can pray with you. You find your Aaron and your Hoor who are going to help you just sit there on a rock until the battle is won. You say, I don't think I can move. You don't have to. Just sit on the rock and call in your prayer warriors. And you start imagining your children and your grandchildren clothed in garments of salvation, wearing robes of righteousness. You start imagining the answer to your prayer and when you start imagining you will start planning for their homecoming you know what you go ahead and you set their places at the shabbat table don't wait till they come home you set their places at the shabbat table you make a place for them at passover at shavuot at sukkot you start imagining and planning as if they're already home you start preparing and so no the temple was no place for chickens But Jerusalem is. Remember what Yeshua said? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how many times I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks. But you would not. You know, when Jerusalem gets to the end of her tribulation, her little little chicks are going to come home to roost. And your little chicks are going to come home to roost. But don't give up. You keep interceding. You pray every day. And every day, you just imagine them. What would you like for them to be doing? When you sit and you study the word each day, imagine them sitting across from you with a cup of coffee or whatever it is, tea. You want them to go to Shabbat service with you? Imagine them sitting there. You just go ahead and imagine it. And you know what I tell myself sometimes, sometimes people say, well, why do I see this and my family doesn't see it? Why do I see the feasts and the Shabbat and, and everything? And my friends don't see it why me? And I thought that too. I thought that too. And this is maybe not necessarily the right answer, but it's an answer. I just tell myself, you know what? The father knew I was going to need a lot more remediation than anyone else. (laughs) They're probably going to download it in the twinkling of an eye, but he knew I was going to take a long time. And so he started working on me early. That's why. All right. Whatever your imagination has to tell you to bring a little relief to your soul. And so you can hear it is written, and so that you can believe that not one of them will be lost. Where will they be in the kingdom? I don't know. Doesn't matter. It's up to us to imagine them in garments of salvation and righteousness. Right? So I, I hope that is an encouragement to you. We don't know why. We don't know why good things don't happen fast. We don't know why the best things happen slow. We don't know. It's okay. We don't need to. We just need the father to know. And I know he knows. And so sometimes we just have to put those questions into his hands and say, you know what? Not the answer I was looking for today, but okay. Not the road I thought this would take, but there it is. And it's probably, well, I know, it's a good thing that he doesn't answer prayers the way that I always pray them or think they should go. I know it's a blessing that things don't take the route I would choose. I could bring the world down pretty fast (laughs) with some praying, right? So it's, it's a good thing sometimes that our hearts aren't allowed to get in the way of truth and his ultimate plan and you just hang in there whatever that prayer is if you don't take anything away from all that grammar right (laughs) don't worry about all the grammar just take away that nugget i need to be an imaginer a planner in prayer Thank you for exploring the Torah portion with us. For more information on this ministry, go to thecreationgospel.com You can find links there for our newsletter, books, workbooks, Facebook and our YouTube channel.